and get you to stand up with us real quick as we begin to get ready to worship. I'm going to give you a warning. Worship's going to be without screens today because our screens aren't working. So you're going to either have to follow along with the worship leaders as they sing the worship, or you're just going to have to sit there and just speak to God while you're here. Amen? So we're going old school. Like I said, the only thing that works is my mic and this book. So... So we're not going to worry about the rest of the stuff today. We're going to have some grace, and we're just going to have a good time worshiping God. God's been good, hasn't he? Amen. You see that sunshine that's out there? Yeah. This is Astoria, Oregon, and the sun is shining, and you're in church. God's going to bless you for that, I just promise you. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father, we love you. I'm grateful for people who want to hear your word and who want to praise your name. And Father, this might be a little more difficult for us today, but I think some of us know these songs, and we can just sing out. Because we know that you're worthy of praise. We love you so. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Oh, by the way, we got a baptism today. <laughs> just wanted to throw that in there. We don't just fill that up for the fun of it. Amen. Let's worship. Yeah. 
We have a baptism today. A Mr. Zane. We have Zane. We're going to do this uh, shortly, but the joy of the Lord is here. So when the baptism is done, I want you to get back up and really just show God how much joy we have in our lives and to witness this. So stand by. Everybody, this is Zane. Zane, who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. Mine too. All right, please go ahead, walk in. Okay. Zane, I'm going to reach across here. All right. Uh, thank you, guys. Zane, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised into the newness of life. Father, I thank you for Zane. I ask, or I, I thank you for this blessing that we have, this testimony he has to the change in his life, the acceptance of our King Jesus. Lord, we ask for your blessing on this day, on, on Zane's uh, humility and submission to you, and going forth to reveal to him in, in uh, wondrous ways your plans for him. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. That's awesome. That's the Lord's work. 
right, all children, please rise. We're all going to talk about you so you guys can't be in here. Bye. You're dismissed. So usually I come up here. Oh, please have a seat if you haven't already. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll come up here and talk about our tithes and offerings. And I think I've gone through almost every verse there is <laughs> that talks about sacrificial giving and about, uh, you know, our duty to, our, to the body of Christ. So I was thinking maybe I'll go here in Ephesians. And uh, this is... This is Paul's um, direction for this slave-master relationship that was, you know, in ancient Roman Empire. But I think it's, uh, it works for us as far as our slave-master relationship with other people and money and how we should view things with God. Ephesians 6. Don't work while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as the Lord and not to people, as to the Lord and not to people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. I believe. Those characteristics of Christ are so much more valuable than, even though I may think about it, the next pay raise or maybe the next promotion or the accolades or um, praises I may get from my peers and my superiors. Pleasing God and having a heart full of um, goodwill towards people regardless of their reciprocity. I'm looking forward to what God will give me back in that, in place of that. Perhaps more patience, joy, hope. I don't know if you guys have ever been hopeless, but hope is invaluable. So um, think about that as you uh, provide your, your tithes and your offerings as well, that you are doing a good work for God's eyes only. I hope he richly blesses you for it. Oh, wait, we don't have ours. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how it goes down here. We got a mailbox outside. We have a giving box in the lobby. Uh, Our website is newlifeastoria.com, and we have the Church Center app. Thank you. Pastor Andy? Did the joy leave the house of the Lord? Okay, just want to make sure that we're all okay. I uh, went through this sermon several times, and I, I can do it um, old school and no, understand that my history is Baptist, so I can do it old school, or I can do it what today wants. 
Okay, I'm going to try. So you're going to have to get into this. So if you agree with something that is preached, you need to shout that you agree. And that can either be amen, oh my, uh, it doesn't matter what you say. Just say something. Just speak back to me. Let me know that it's, I'm going in the right direction. Even if you think I'm going in the wrong direction, say, oh my, and that's okay. You can be wrong. That's all right. You did not spend a week on this sermon, so... This passage that we're going to read today, do we have screens? We do. I don't see anything. <laughs> passage that we're going to read today is in Judges, um, and it's really dealing with something that is, we make a big part of the story of Gideon, and it's the sign of the fleece. And it's part of Gideon's story that gets the most attention, and it's often used and misused by Christians. We don't use it correctly. We use it as an excuse for a lack of faith, but we want to use it because we see Gideon did it, and you know, if somebody else got away, you ever have that argument with your wife? Like, you did it, so then I can do it. Like, you ate two cheeseburgers, so now I can eat two cheeseburgers. But now I got to eat four because I got to make up, because I'm bigger than you are, and I got to, okay, I'm the only one that did that, that's okay. But it's, yeah, (laughs) thanks for your encouragement. The sign of the fleece. But to understand the sign of the fleece, we need to understand what happened before that, before Gideon got to the place where he, he used the fleece as, as an evidence of whether God was, God's word was true or not. And so just let's recap, because this is important to understand, because this is important to understand for you. And so we're going to pray, and then I'm going to get into this. Father, I thank you for a congregation that can handle the difficulties of not having words on a screen. <laughs> That we don't walk out because we don't have everything easy. But we can still worship you because you're worthy of praise. Yeah, and we won't let little things like technology dictate what we do when it comes to worshiping you. It's nice. We, we are grateful for, this, for the time that we live in, for the tools that you've given us to do the work of the ministry. But when they don't work, we're going to go back to the tools that have worked for thousands of years. Your word, your worship. And the preaching of the word of God. So just encourage us today, Lord God, to seek your face and to understand where we play a part in this word today that you're trying to speak to us. Help us with that. In Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. First thing we need to understand or remember when we read the story is uh, the Lord sent a prophet to preach the word of God to the people of God. So it always starts with a preacher. It's kind of self-serving, but... Judges chapter 6 and verse 8 says, The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, I love that, Thus saith the Lord. That's my King James coming out. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord. I can preach that all day long. This is what God says. Not what you think. Not what you want. Not what you imagine. Thus saith the Lord. We don't like preachers that do that anymore, but this is what you're getting today. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. He saved them. So he's talking to those who have come out of the house of slavery through Jesus Christ, their sins have been forgiven. Now he's talking to us. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in which land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. You have not obeyed my voice. 
The man of God preached the word of God and said, you're not obeying the word of God. You're not obeying God himself. You're, you're choosing to reject the message of God. After all that he's done for you and after all that he does for you and after all that he is and, and who he is to us, we still at times reject the word of the Lord. Is that not true? Okay, you're awful quiet on that one. The Lord then sent an angel to prove the truth of God to Gideon. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which was a big tree where they would go to worship, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite. I said that wrong. And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord. Now whenever the Bible uses capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's always speaking of Jesus Christ's presence. He's the Lord. The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. So that means that he heard the word of the man of God preaching the word of God. And then he heard the word of Jesus himself. Jesus himself came and spoke to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. In verse 14, it goes on. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I, Jesus, send you? Do not I, Jesus said, am I not the one sending you? In verse 16, the Lord said to him, but I, speaking of Jesus, will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites in one man. Jesus said, the Lord's with you. Do not I send you. I'll be with you. Now I'm just wondering if the man of God preaches the word of God and it's the true word of God, you should respond to it by obedience, right? And if Jesus himself shows up and says, I am the Lord your God. I am with you. Do not I send you. Don't you think we would obey the words of Jesus? Yes. I mean, if, 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 if the preaching of the word of God is biblical and straight up, we should be responding through obedience to what the word of God is telling us. And if Jesus himself shows up and says, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. I'm sending you. We should obey him. Is that not right? But that wasn't enough for Gideon because he wanted a sign. He heard from the man of God. He heard from the word of God. Who, that's who Jesus is. And he said to him in verse 17, If I have now found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. It is you who speak with me. So Jesus gave him one. He put an offering together. And Jesus miraculously by fire consumed the offering, which was just heaven saying, I'm accepting your offering. As, as, as a sacrifice. And this sign gave Gideon, if you know the story, this sign gave Gideon the courage to take the next steps of faith, which were to destroy the false idols of his father. Though he did it at night, he still obeyed, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the reaction. And, and let's just be honest. Sometimes we obey God in the night. Sometimes we obey God in the dark. We, we don't let people know that we're obeying God because we don't want to face the wrath of what people are going to say. So we obey him, but, but it's in the dark. We'll, we'll give our offerings in the dark. We don't want nobody to know that we're actually trusting God. I don't know why. That's kind of silly, but we do that. But he did obey the word of God. And then the Bible says the Lord sent the spirit of God to him. Judges chapter 6 verse 34. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet and the Abrazites, I keep saying that name wrong, were called out to follow him. The literal presence of God covered him. The man of God preached the word of God. 
Jesus himself, the word of God, said to him, I'm with you, I'm sending you, I'm here. The spirit of God came to clothe him. The presence of God came to cover him, which in the Old Testament, the, old, the, the Holy Spirit would come upon you and then he would leave. He wouldn't stay. But in the New Testament, because of Jesus Christ, when he went up to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit down to stay with those who are believers. Amen. Stays with us forever. This should have given Gideon confidence and courage because that's what the scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit, that he gives you boldness and confidence in what the word of God says. He guides us into all truth. Are you with me? But that's not what happened. Gideon asked for another sign. The man of God preaches the word of God. Jesus, the word of God says, I'm here with you. The Holy Spirit covers him with his presence, and that's not enough. Show me another sign. Amen. Somebody's into this sermon. So when God showed him a sign, Gideon asked him for another sign. God in his mercy showed Gideon three signs to prove that his word was true. How many signs will it take before you believe what this book says and will live your life according to. Jesus said this, well, let me back up. Because some in this room asking for a sign is normal. We'll read the word, we'll hear the word, we'll respond to the word, but our response is, show me that it's true. Prove it to me. Over and over and over again. God sends his word through preachers, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, and we still ask for more proof. How much more proof do you need? Because Jesus said this about the generation that he was in. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 1, he says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show us them a sign from heaven. Just real quick, Luke chapter 4 and verse 12, which I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Jesus said, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So when we're asking for signs, when we have the word of God, and we've been given the word of God, and we've been clothed with the spirit of God, and we're still asking questions, Jesus said, don't test God. You're playing a game with God when you're testing him. So they asked him to show him a sign from heaven to test him. And Jesus answered them and said, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning... It'll be storming today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. He goes on to say, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it but the sign of Jonah. And then he left them and departed. So Jesus said, It's an adulterous and sinful nation, an evil nation, that seek, keeps seeking for a sign. He's not saying... Keeps looking for signs, and I'll just keep answering. Or that's a good thing to keep trying to get me to prove myself to you. We're talking about God. The creator God. The almighty God. The all-powerful God. And yet we're questioning his word. We're questioning his way. Yes, it is his way to send preachers preaching the word of God to the people of God. Yes, it is his way to send Jesus to speak to our hearts. 
Yes, it is his way to, to guide us into all truth through the Holy Spirit. But how many times do we have all of that happen and we still say, show me a sign? Jesus said the proof that you cannot discern signs is that you ask for a sign. Even if I give you a sign, you're not going to be able to discern it because the reason you need, need the sign is because you doubt, not because you believe. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after them. The Bible records numerous examples of God showing people signs and they still didn't believe. They just wanted more and give me more and give me more. So he says, the sign that will bring people to faith is the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? If you know the story of Jonah, Jonah sacrificed his life that others might be saved. Jonah was in a tomb of a, of a great fish for three days. Jonah was puked back up on the beach, brought back to life. Listen, if you've been swallowed by a fish and you're in there for three days, you're probably not coming back. It's a miracle of God to bring, that, bring, bring you back. And then when he came back, he preached repentance to a bunch of people who were rebellious against God. So what does, that, what does that mean? That means a little bit later, Jesus would give his life that others might be saved. Jesus would be in the tomb for three days. Jesus would rise from the dead, and Jesus would come back and preach repentance for sins. And yet the people who, who sought a sign knew that Jesus was risen from the dead, knew that Jesus was in the grave for three days, knew that he had come back. They had known the truth of the word of God, and they still asked for a sign. They still couldn't discern the sign that God gave them, which is Jesus' resurrection and, and ascension into heaven. They still didn't believe. Jesus told a, a powerful story in Luke chapter 16, and verse 19. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible but it's one of the stories in the Bible that most people don't want to listen to. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus. He was a homeless man. Houseless. I got to use the appropriate terms because there's so many today. He was covered with sores and he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. He just wanted to eat. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And I thought about that. I thought about how many people are now needing animals to comfort them. That's not a bad thing. I'm not being negative. I'm saying they're finding comfort from, from uh, 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 these, these, these dogs and whatever else. I, I don't know what else people use. Cats, rabbits, I don't know. Whatever makes you feel, and, and, and we, 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 from my generation, probably mock people like that, but that's the only love that they feel is from this animal, because it's the only thing that makes them feel good. And the poor man died, and was carried by the angels to Abram's bosom, to a place of comfort. And the rich man died. And was buried. Now, when you read your Bible, you need to read into it what it's saying. What it's saying is the poor man died and was carried by angels. Lazarus was carried. The rich man was buried. Lazarus was comforted. The rich man was hurt, wounded, broken. We'll find that out more when we read the story. 
I believe there are people in this room. Some of you are going to die and you're going to be carried to comfort. Some of you are just going to get buried. Welcome to new life. You asked for this. I'm just telling you. You asked for. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm saying that's what the scripture is teaching. And I believe it. And in Hades, in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. This is not a place of comfort where, where he is at. But Abraham said, child, don't miss that. God, even to people in hell, is showing grace by not condemning them, but saying, child, I'm, I'm sorry. Remember that in your lifetime, you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted and you're in anguish. And he goes on to say, and besides all this, between you and us uh, is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able and, some, um, and none may cross from there to us. Meaning that once you're in that place, you're there. You can't change sides. You can't go to Hades and suddenly be moved into heaven. That's not what the scripture teaches. Now, we're going to ask God to show us a sign, and the only way you're going to know that sign is true is when you die. You're either going to believe the word that God has written and has been preached that Jesus taught, because Jesus is teaching this right now, or you're going to ask for a sign. The only, sign, the only way you're going to prove that what I'm saying is wrong is for you to die, and then you find out right there. You say, you're not being very nice. I'm not trying to be nice. I'm trying to warn you. Besides all this, oh, let's read all that. And he said, then I beg you, the, the rich man said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so they may warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Men of God preaching the word of God. And this is being spoken of by Jesus Christ himself. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced though someone should rise from the dead. Even if you saw somebody rise from the dead, what he's saying is you still wouldn't believe. That wouldn't be enough. Though you have the word of God through the man of God, you have the word of God through Jesus Christ, you have that, his example and his truth. You have the Holy Spirit trying to move, on, move and to cover you. Even though you have all those things, he's saying these people will stay an unconvinced generation. There are going to be people who are still not going to be convinced that this book is true. No matter what the preacher says, no matter what Jesus says, no matter what the Spirit of God says, you're still going to be unconvinced. If God through the Holy Scripture and through the sacrifice of Jesus and the Spirit of God is not enough to bring you to faith in Christ, there is no hope for you. No sign will save you. 
which is where the grace of God is seen in the fleece. I said all that cool stuff to get to this point. But the fleece is an unnecessary and almost offensive act by humans to God. God has proven his word to be true. Through the power of preaching, through the presence of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit, yet we still ask for a sign. We still ask for evidence. We still ask for proof. Prove yourself to me, God. We are telling the Almighty God to prove himself to us. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time today, not a lot, after setting that all up. For those of you that keep seeking after signs, you're just not going to believe the word of God. You're not going to believe the preacher. You're not going to believe the word of God. You're not going to believe the spirit of God. You're just going to keep asking for signs. So I'm going to try to help you through the story of Gideon to maybe learn what you're actually doing when you do that. We're going to do it through five questions. First question I think we need to ask ourselves, if we're seeking after signs, we're not going to believe the word of God. We're not going to obey it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to believe the preacher because nobody believes preachers anymore. We're not going to believe Jesus. Even if Jesus showed up, you still wouldn't believe, but everybody says, but if Jesus was saying, this book is full of Jesus saying things that people don't believe. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you, if you feel conviction of your sin and you feel conviction to change, you feel conviction to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's the Holy Spirit trying to tell you, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. So the first question I think you have to ask yourself if you're seeking for a sign, where's my unbelief? Where is my unbelief? Judges chapter 6 and verse 36 says, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Let me, I, I broke this down to really where the unbelief is. I took all the God stuff out and I just brought the us stuff in. Here's what he says. If you will save, as you have said, then I shall know that you will save by my hand, as you have said. The problem was the if. The problem was the if. If you do this, then I'll believe. He doesn't have to do that. He's still God. Your unbelief doesn't change the fact that he's still God. So there's some things we've got to ask from identifying the ifs. Do you believe what God says? Do you believe the word of God? Because if you don't believe the word of God, this is a waste of time and a waste of energy. Do you believe the word of God? Do you really believe what God, do you believe that God is very capable of inspiring holy men of God to write this book down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and to keep it without error and pure? Do you believe the word of God? Do you believe what God's already said in his word? Do you believe what he said about life, salvation, living? Do you believe what he said about forgiveness? That if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. 
Do you know what's true and what is not in the word? See, that's where I think the biggest problem is. We doubt God, but you don't even know what it says. Well, I don't believe it. Well, that doesn't mean it's not true. It just means you don't know what it says. It's not God's fault that you have a, a book that's available to read, that every week you can listen to the preacher preach the word of God. Come on now. It's not, it's not the preacher's fault that you're not getting it. The problem is your unbelief. It's your ifs. Because if, if I'm right today, then you're in sin for questioning God all the time. You asked for it. I'm not. See, you also got to identify your wills. If I believe you, will you do what you said? God makes a promise. He keeps his promise. Otherwise, he's not God. When God says something, he means it. And he's going to carry it out. If you believe, will I serve you, as he said? He, Jesus called him a mighty man of valor. I don't think we do well with that when God says to you, listen, you're going to do great things for me, but you've got to trust my word. How many of you say, oh, no, he can't use me? Read this book and find out how many morons God used for great things. <laughs> he did not pick the pick of the litter. He picked the, the runts. He picked the messed up. Moses committed murder, and then he, 40 years later, he gets called up to a mountain and gets to meet with God. He gets to lead the people of Israel out of, out, out of bondage. Yes. Right. David commit, commits adultery, commits murder, yep. betrays his family, betrays his country. And yet God says, he's a man after my own heart. Yep. <laughs> Peter's an idiot <laughs> who's always arguing with Jesus. And yet, Peter's the one that preached one message and 3,000 get saved in a day. And not just saved. They got saved. They got, like, born again. They, they passed from death unto life, and they began to live this thing out called the gospel. And it wasn't a game. They just, they got saved, and they just turned the world upside down. And that's who God chooses, you. <laughs> but you don't believe it because you think you're not as good as God sees you are. God doesn't see you the way that you see you. I'm losing my voice. So what am I doubting about God that I'm going to seek after a sign? See, the problem isn't God's word. The problem is our willingness to be obedient to it. To actually believe what this thing says and then do it. Second question we've got to ask ourselves before I have a heart attack. This, I haven't preached this hard in two years. Are my doubts unrelated to the doctrine of God? So are my doubts unrelated to, to the truth or the teachings of God? Judges 6, 8, the Bible says, and it was so. When he arose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Now, I read tons of commentaries on this. And I spent the week really focusing on this section right here. And you know what I learned? There's a lot of people that make a lot of things up in the Bible to make themselves sound really smart. But the guys that I trust, the Spurgeons, 
of the world, the MacArthur's of the world, when I read their stuff, they don't make a big deal out of this. Because I think what was really happening is fleece had no meaning in, in the doctrine of God. Somebody could say, well, it's, it's from a sacrificed sheep, and you can make this big argument over what you think it's saying. It doesn't say that. I think what happened is what happens with us. I think Gideon just looked around and saw what he thought was, hey, this looks cool. This... Here's a fleece. Yeah, here, here God. Make it wet and the ground dry. Just, we, we just pick random things that have nothing to do with the word of God. We make it up as we go. It's kind of like we're trying to make God perform a magic trick. And I'm just, I'm just going to pick some random magic trick. I just, just okay, now make, it, make the, 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 the platform wet and that dry. Ta-da! Presto, whatever, whatever you say. I don't know you know what the evil things that magicians say. But we do that with God. The fleece had nothing to do with the word of God or the will of God, only the wonder of Gideon. It was all in his head. What he was trying to get God to do. Are you asking unrelated questions to the command that God has given you? We do that all the time. We know what God's word says. So we say, well, yeah, but did God really mean this? You know who else said that? Satan to Eve. You women should all know that. I can tell we're having fun now. Did God really say that? Yes, God said, don't eat of that tree. That tree is special. Leave it alone. But what did they do? They didn't want to listen to the word of God. They thought the tree was the big deal. It was obedience that was the big deal. The tree was just a fruit tree. Random fruit tree. That God just said, don't touch that. And the issue was, don't touch that. <laughs> well, why? Why can't I touch it? You, ever, you have kids like that? <laughs> You're like that with God. Why, why do I have to tithe? Why do I have to go to church every week? Why do I have to gather together? Why do I have to assemble together? So you try to find something that's unrelated. So, so God, prove to me that if I don't go to church next Sunday, that uh, uh, if, I, if, if I don't go to church, that something good will happen in my life. Well, something good's going to happen. And you're going to say, yep, see, I proved God's word to be true or not true, whatever, instead of just obeying what the word of God says. Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of service, but exhorting one another, even so much the more as you see the day approaching. And someone's going to twist that, because that's what this generation does. You guys are great at twisting the scriptures into what you want it to say, so it fits into your lifestyle. Am I approaching God with respect and reverence? Because I think that's part of the issue with signs. Are, are we being disrespectful to God? Look at this. This is one of my favorite parts. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Meaning he knew that God was going to be ticked off. If you already know the answer to the question, don't ask the question. <laughs> if you already know God's going to be angry, what, what do you say? Okay, don't be angry at me. 
What are you? <laughs> Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Just, just once more. Please, please let me test just once more with the fleece. Was that respectful? See, I don't think it was respectful because respect would have said, I'm just going to obey what you say. I've already heard the word of God. I've already heard what the preacher said. I heard what Jesus said. I'm covered with the spirit of God. I'm just going to obey it. But we want to be disrespectful to God and keep asking for more and keep asking for more. Prove yourself to me again. 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 And it's never enough. Even if you say, please, God, don't kill me for asking this one more time. Have mercy. And he'll have grace with you. Don't get me wrong. But it's disrespectful to him to keep asking over and over again. It's like your, your kid who asks you over and over again, can I do this? No. 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 Can I do this? And at some point in time, you break down. God's not going to break down. See, there's a story in Mark chapter 9 where there's a father who had a son who was possessed. And some of you parents kind of have an identification with that. (laughs) And this possession was horribly painful. And the father asked Jesus for help. And the Bible says it often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But the man says to Jesus, he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can't, I'm sorry, let me say it this way. If you can't, what Jesus took that as is he didn't believe that Jesus could do what he said he could do. If 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 I can't, all things are possible for one who believes. No, do you really believe that? All things are possible to one who believes. And he's immediately the father, the child cried out and said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. At least that was respectful. At least it was respectful enough to say, okay, I'm struggling here. This has been tough on my family. This has been difficult. He's not saying, Lord, I'm just going to flip this fleece over one more time. Can we just show me a sign? He's saying, help me with my problem, not yours. See, the problem with doubt isn't that God can't do. It's that you don't believe he can. It's not, God's not the problem. And it's disrespectful to think it is. And and worse than that is this. Don't settle for pity when God wants to give you his promise. You just want God to say, I know it's, I know it's hard on you. Poor baby. I love you anyway. When what you need is a miracle. What you need is to trust the word of God. You won't take, you'll take pity over the promise of God because you won't believe the promise. I'm just picking on Pat because he's right there and he's comfortable. <laughs> See, there's a verse that I believe, and I still believe it with all my heart. It's Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 where it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, than all we ask or think, to him that can do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. That's the Holy Spirit. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
Why are we doubting a God that can do anything and everything, but he generally does it according to his word, not according to yours? He didn't say, the man didn't say, Lord, I believe, save my son. He said, Lord, the problem's me. Help my unbelief. That's respectful. When am I pushing it? When we're asking for a sign, when am I pushing it? Gideon questions God in one direction. Let me make sure I read it right. Fleece would be wet, the ground dry. And then he says, okay, let's try this another way. Let's do the ground wet and the fleece dry. Don't you think it's pushing it? When, When your questions become questioning, you're pushing it. I don't think God has a problem with us saying, I'm just not sure. I think the problem is when you say, okay, I'm still not sure. Try it another way. We're not asking God to prove what his word says. We're questioning why he said it or what he said. We're not asking God because we want to obey the word. We question it so we don't have to. That's the, the, the one thing that I found in pastoral ministry the last 25 years. In the last five years... Christians have become more about questioning the word of God than obeying the word of God. You know it better than any time in history you know the word of God. And yet you obey it less than you ever have before. Come on now. Some of you have been saved a long time. And remember when you first got saved, man, the word of God said it. That settles it. I'm going to do it. And your wife is like, what are you doing? We're trusting God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But then you stop doing that. Then you stop doing that. And you just start questioning, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to be in, I'm I'm just using random verses. Why do I have to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Why do I have to attend church? Because he told you to attend church. He told you when we gather, you're supposed to be with us. Well, that's not enough. Okay, God. You don't want to just believe the word of God? How many questions is too many questions when God simply says to obey? I learned this verse, memorized it many years ago. It was probably the best verse I learned as a young believer. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Quit thinking about it. Just do it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I'm going to read that last part again. Be not wise in your own eyes. That's where the questions become a problem. You just keep thinking you're, you're going to outfigure God. So just obeying what he says. When am I pushing it? And honestly, how are you going to respond when God removes your doubt, when he shows you the truth of his word? Judges 6.40 says, And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped in the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Mora in the valley. And so all, all he's saying is, God showed him that last sign. 
and he got ready for battle. The battle that he should have gotten ready for when the preacher preached the word of God the first time. When Jesus said, Almighty man of valor, I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to be with you. When the Holy Spirit came upon him, when he had the presence of God with him, you got the presence of God with you. There's no one that can be against you. Amen? So what happens when he removes the doubt? Gideon still had to make a choice, and so do you. He heard the preacher, spoke with Jesus, was covered by the Holy Spirit, and now God showed him grace by proving his word was true. Three times. And the question for Gideon is the same question as for you. If God's word is true, what are you going to do? If God's word is true, what are you going to do? I've said this for several years. If any part of this book is not true, then you can't trust any of it. But if God's word is true, you have to obey all of it. For what God reveals to you, you need to be doing. Therefore, the, for, I think it's James 4, 17. Therefore, for him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. If you know what God's saying to you, why are you still seeking after a sign? Why don't you just obey what he said? Why make it so hard on the preacher? Why make it so hard on Jesus, who's revealed himself to you time and time and time again? Why make it so hard to have the Holy Spirit with you and yet not have confidence and courage and obey the word of God in ways that make you actually live by faith? Will you obey what he's revealed to you? Trust what he's taught you. Do what he says. If the word of God, of God is true, what are you going to do? You say, well, Gideon got away with it three times. This is not the norm. And Gideon isn't praised for this. It's just God showing mercy and grace. But there's a point in time where we push God so far that he's just going to say, fine, you're on your own. Do it your way. Tell me how that works out in your marriage. Tell me how that works out raising your kids. Because he's given us some very specific instructions on marriage in the word of God. And he's given us some specific instructions on, on raising kids. But are we obeying them? Are we trusting them and obeying them? If God's word is true, what are you going to do? In Luke chapter 19, the scripture says that Jesus passed through Jericho and met a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus passing that way. I could sing the song if you want. <laughs> For the Lord he wanted to see. So Jesus says he was going to pass that way. He came to the tree, looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down from must stay at your house today. So he made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. 
When others saw it, they complained that Jesus was going to the house of a sinner. Meaning that people will judge Jesus by you. And that's not a negative about you. It just means that Jesus is, wants to seek and to save that. Seeking to save the sinners. I'll say it that way. Zacchaeus spent some time with Jesus. And he just had like lunch or breakfast. I don't know what time of day. I didn't really study that part out. But he just spent some time with Jesus. And spending time with Jesus, Zacchaeus comes out and says, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Could you imagine somebody who lives for money, who loves money, who money serves him, meets Jesus for lunch. At the end of lunch says, half of all that I have, I'm going to give to the poor. What? His wife's saying, uh, I'm on that account too. <laughs> See, she didn't meet with Jesus. She was too busy cooking. That's a Mary and Martha thing. <laughs> and he says, if I've taken anything by false accusation, I'll restore it fourfold. Hang on, I just got my pages all mixed up. It's really good. Something powerful happened in that meeting with Jesus. It's called restitution and repentance. Zacchaeus meets the word of God. And the word of God transforms him so greatly that half of his goods he gave to the poor. And if he stole from anybody else, he replaced it four times as much as he stole from them. Who does that? Except somebody who hears the word of God, who meets the word of God, who is filled with the word of God and transformed by the word of God. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 9, he says, Today salvation has come to this house. But, but who came to that house? Who is salvation? Jesus. Since he also is the son of Abraham, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus made it simple to determine whether he was saved or not. Were you transformed or not? Did you meet that person, Jesus, or did you meet a system of salvation? Did you meet a 12-step process? Or did you meet Jesus? What I'm called to do is to preach the word of God. I'm to preach Jesus to you regularly, often, all the time. And yet, how many of you still seek a sign? I can tell you who he is. I can tell you what he's done. I can tell you what he'll do. How do I know that? Because he's transformed my life. You say, well, you seem like a pretty good guy. Yeah, you didn't know me back then. Just ask around Warrington a little bit, and they'll tell you the truth. <laughs> you might see some good-looking pictures of me in the, in the, in the yearbook, but that, those, those were my humble days. Zacchaeus was completely transformed by meeting Jesus himself. 
I'm sure he heard a message on Jesus before, on, on the Savior. But he wanted to see a sign. He wanted to climb up a tree and see the truth. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'm not going to, I know there's verses that will teach us, so I want to be careful. In Christ, not Christ in you. That is a truth too. But if you're in Christ, if, you're, if you've taken on the life of Christ, if you've met him and said, I want to be like that guy. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is why Jesus doesn't change our life when we're saved. He replaces our life with his. A changed Andy may stop sinning, but I'm still a sinner. I can learn how to not sin. I can come to church and learn how to not sin, but that doesn't mean that I've met Jesus. An improved Andy can still be bound to hell. I can just be a really nice guy and not know Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among, men, given among men whereby we must be saved. I say that too fast. <laughs> Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ and the question is, have you met him? Or are you still questioning him? Are you still seeking a sign? Salvation is a person in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That person is in this room today. His name is Jesus. The question is, are you still going to seek a sign that Jesus is true? How many more sermons do I have to preach to prove that Jesus is real? How many times does Jesus have to show up at service and show up at church because we're two or three gathered together and Jesus says, in my name, there I am in the midst of them. How many times does he have to show up and you have to keep questioning whether he's true or not? We are a messed up people who gather together because we love Jesus and we love each other. No matter how we fail each other on a consistent basis. Well, how does that happen? Jesus has that, makes that happen. And the Holy Spirit, if he's not inside of you, he's outside of you trying to say, this is true. I'm trying to guide you into truth. I want you to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you're not going to get to the Father except through him. And Jesus is here and you're saying, show me a sign. This is the sign. If you won't believe it, nothing I say, nothing Jesus says, nothing the Holy Spirit says will make a difference in your life. Have you met Jesus Christ in such a way that it's changed you? Or is he just another experience that you've had in your life that you question whether it's real or not? The children's ministry workers are going nuts about now. 
But could we stand, please, for just a minute? Father, one of the signs I believe that you show yourself to be true is that you do transform us. I believe something as silly as a sermon that the Apostle Paul said it's by the foolishness of preaching that men get saved. I don't understand how it works. I just know that it works because you're the way, the truth, and the life. Father, I believe Jesus is in this room right now he indwells us. We indwell him. And our worship of God and our worship of the way and our obedience to your word is evidence that we are connected to you. We're the sign that you are true. And Father, I believe the Holy Spirit is desperately working on hearts right at this moment. Maybe not all for salvation. Maybe somebody's already saved, but they just keep questioning God. What is God saying to you to do to trust him? Maybe it's stop seeking signs and just obey what I've already said. Stop questioning what the word of God says and just start doing it. Let God prove himself to them, Father. Prove yourself to them through your word because our word is truth. The truth of salvation is transformation. That we are not changed, but we are new. And we want to be just like you. Thank you for calling me down from the tree and taking me out to lunch and showing me how amazing you are and transforming me. I was buried in the likeness of your death and I was raised to walk in the newness of life. It's time to put down our challenges. Put away our questions and just obey what you've already said. That we should love you. That we should love one another. That we, we, as we serve others, we serve you. There's so much. There's so much, Father. That I don't know what you've said to these people. I just know I'm tired of seeking signs. Because I've already met the Savior. And you don't got to prove yourself to me because I am a nobody. But I should be proving myself to you that I do believe. Maybe the, maybe the question we have is, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Encourage our hearts today, Lord God. Help decisions be made for your word and your way. And if there's anyone in this room who has never really met Jesus, they've never really encountered his presence.
let today be that day where they call upon you and ask you to show, show yourself to them. That would be a sign. Come to me, Jesus. Speak to me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. So my sins won't separate me from you, Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord's touched your heart today. You want to speak with him. You can come to the altar. You can stay where you're at. But coming to the altar is kind of cool. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you need to repent of seeking signs instead of obeying the scriptures. Altar's open. God's word is true, what are you going to do? The answer to that is, according to the scriptures, is every word of God is true. Father, I've done what you've asked. I've done it what I believe to be the way that you've created me to deliver the word of God. Please let them seek you today. Encourage them to seek you is what I meant. Father, I thank you for the baptism we saw today and I pray that the experience that Zane has is one that would be transformation. And that those around him can see that he's heard the word. He's believed the word. And he's obeyed the word. Be that way with us. We love you so. Encourage our hearts, Father. As we leave this place, let us honor you. And Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Guys, thanks for coming today. God bless. Beautiful day.